Um, a warm welcome everyone on joining this podcast on Ask About Asthma, Using and Prescribing Inhalers Effectively to Help the Environment. I'm Omar Osmani. I'm a consultant physician at Imperial College, the Royal Brompton Hospital and St Mary's Hospital, and I'm also chair of the UK Inhaler Group. And I'm delighted to be joined by friends and colleagues, Toby Capstick and um, Jane Scullion, and they're going to be my expert colleagues today um, talking us through this topic. Um, so Toby is a consultant pharmacist for respiratory medicine at Leeds Teaching Hospital NHS Trust. Hello, Toby. Hello. And Jane, um, your consultant respiratory nurse specialist at University Hospitals Leicester. Hello there. Hi. So great guys for joining me. Um, the podcast today will discuss um, how, in our busy consultations, we can give good, focused and pragmatic advice on children and young people with asthma to use their inhalers effectively to help the environment and how, as us as prescribers, can think a little bit um, wisely about the inhalers that we prescribe. Um, the podcast is part of Ask About Asthma Week and, and Air Quality Day. And Ask About Asthma is about raising awareness of the three simple measures that should be taken to manage all children and young people with asthma. So a written asthma action plan, using inhalers effectively, and the podcast today will cover aspects related to that, and having an asthma review every year and after every attack. So Toby um, and Jane, before we talk about inhalers and the environment, Toby, can you just briefly set the scene and give us an overview of the inhalers um, we can use for our patients? Yeah, thank you, Emma. Um, yeah, so it's, it's becoming increasingly complex for us as healthcare professionals because we now have around 16 different types of inhaler device available to, for us to prescribe for our patients. Now, not all of those are um, licensed for use in children, but it just gives you an idea of the extent of the complexity that we have. Now, we can broadly classify these inhalers into different groups. And the first group we have are the aerosol devices, which often people uh, talk about them as puffers. And with these types of inhalers, it's important you breathe in slowly and steadily to gently guide the aerosol spray into the lungs. And often children, young adults and adults as well, will all need to use spaces to help improve the delivery of the medicine to the lungs. Another type of inhaler that we have are dry powder inhalers. And with these, inside the inhaler is just a powder. And you need to breathe in forcefully, quickly and deeply to break up that powder to get it down into the, into the lungs. So that means often our youngest children might not have enough force to be able to suck up this powder effectively. And um, for those younger children, we need to use more aerosol inhalers with a spacer. Um, so the key message there, um, Toby, um, is very much spacers are quite Im important. And Jane, in your daily practice, um, th that's a message you were just saying the other day that you, you have to reinforce and um, with prescribers and also with children with young um, uh, children and young people with asthma. Yeah, yes, I think it's really important because, you know, spaces help the deposition, especially for people, as Toby said, without that inspiratory flow rate behind them. And, you know, mm. they're useful across all ages. They, we, they're our go-to thing for emergency and rescue medications for people. And I, and I think we have to remember that. That's terribly important at the times when the airways are more constricted, your inspiratory flow is going to alter. You're not going to have the suck you had originally. 
Yeah, no, that's a great, uh, very important point, um, Jane, in the emergency situation. And 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 you've also talked before, haven't you? Or I remember we were talking once that we need to tell um, patients how to use their spaces in an emergency when they're well. Um, the same way that we would tell somebody how to use an EpiPen. Um, we wouldn't tell them in an anaphylactic reaction. We'd actually tell them how to use it when they're well. So uh, we should all we should all be doing that, shouldn't we? Yeah, because we have to think of asthma as, you know, it's a variable disease. There's the times when people are quite well and things are, are different. The times when they actually need it, it's no good when somebody's having an asthma attack to then try and teach them a new device. It's got to be inherent, as you said, in that asthma action plan that they should all have to start with. You know, they're controlling their disease. Their parents are helping them with it. It's not our disease. It's theirs 24-7. Yeah. Um, uh, so, Toby, then, what potentially harmful environmental impacts do the inhalers have? Yeah, so this is really important to understand that actually it, when we use an inhaler, there is a certain environmental impact that they're going to have. So the thing that people are being concentrating on uh, as much is the greenhouse effect, the carbon impact of inhalers. Now, about 15, 20 years ago, we phased out uh, CFCs from being the propellants that were inside these devices that were big greenhouse gases. And we've moved over to the hydrofluoroalkanes. And these still have a, a carbon impact, but they're nowhere near as bad, but they do still have um, a certain degree. So, um, so there's a carbon impact, and most inhalers that we use, the aerosol inhalers, use a propellant called HFA134, which is a, what we call a high carbon impact. And a few of them contain a different propellant, HFA227, which has a very high carbon impact. Now, those inhalers are quite few. There's flutiform, there's a symbicord MDI as well that contain this. It's only effects a few. Other ones that we're concerned about are Bentel and Evahaler, which has, from terms of our SABA relievers, is a higher volume, so it's got a greater volume of propellant. So that's sometimes classified as being a very high carbon impact inhaler as well. Now, the other environmental impact that we have from inhalers is the fact that these devices, particularly the dry powder inhalers, uh, contain a lot of plastic. So the plastics in terms of the manufacturer manufacturing process and also in terms of the waste management, they have adverse environmental impacts. So one impact they have is fossil depletion in terms of the manufacturing process and also in various productions and waste processes. The plastics in the, uh, can leach out into the environment and cause a variety of environmental toxicity, such as freshwater and marine uh, ecotoxicity. So they're not without their own environmental harms, particularly if they're not disposed of or recycled uh, correctly. Um, I've just added another bit in, sorry. Um, so, one of the other things to think about with the carbon impact of aerosol inhalers, that in about four or five years' time, there's a new aerosol propellant that's going to be phased into our asthma inhalers, HFA-152. And this actually has a very low carbon impact. And actually, it's going to be as low as a soft mist inhaler and dry powder inhalers. So actually, in four or five years, 
the conversation about the carbon impact is going to completely change. So just listening to you, Toby, actually, um, it's a bit of a balance, isn't it? You've got some inhalers that affect the environment above our head and some inhalers that affect the environment below our feet. Um, and, and certainly now with plastic carrier bags, um, having to pay 20p for them, plastic straws not being available even for birthday parties, quite rightly so. Um, it's, 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 it's a bit of a balance. And, and so Jane, I know you've got a specialist interest in the area of inhaler recycling. So can you just comment on, you know, recycling? Does it happen? Lack of it? What we need to do? Yeah, and, um, and, and at my age, I don't use straws at all because I don't celebrate birthdays, Omar. So, um, you know, it, we're all doing our own bit for the environment as, as it is. But the whole issue over recycling is really problematic because if we're talking about description of, what, over 80 million inhalers a year, that's a lot of landfill. If they're not being recycled, it's very, very, you know, important that, that we think that through. And, and the issue is in terms of recycling is it's not economically viable because we've got all these inhalers that Toby talks about. They're all different colours. They're all different gadgets and widgets and everything inside. You'd need truckloads of blue, pink, purple, orange, whatever the colours are to actually go onto recycling plants. So taking an inhaler apart and separating those plastics out doesn't really become economically viable and there's been a few schemes that have, have tried to do it and I think Toby you, you probably know of, of the pharmaceutical reclaiming where they go back and, and they're actually disposed of as medicines management but again that has an impact on the environment. I, I did a quick straw poll and most of my people I have seen with asthma throw them in the bin because that's what they do with them so you know 80 million prescriptions a year that's just incredible. So, um, Toby, throwing them in the bin, that's not right. Why doesn't the government have a national recycling inhaler scheme? Yeah, I, I do think it's a bit of an omission um, from our green strategy, not having a recycling scheme. Um, there is, um, this year, starting from the 1st of September, community pharmacists within their uh, contractual framework will be commissioned to promote um, patients bringing back their inhalers, their unused inhalers, unwanted inhalers and used up inhalers back to the pharmacy so then they can actually be disposed of in a safe manner through incineration and that is better than going into landfill but obviously there is the energy involved with incineration and how environmentally friendly is that and is that energy captured it's not always as clear Okay, um, so, uh, and, and the other thing, Toby, is um, Jane said truckloads of inhalers, and we can just visualise that. So, um, I know there's been a lot of talk recently about our overuse of, 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 of the blue inhaler, the short-acting reliever inhaler, and truckloads of, of the short-acting beta agonist. Um, and, and how does that link to the environment and, and our management of our patients with asthma? If, if you could just pick up on that, and also, Jane, your thoughts. Yeah, and I, th I think this overuse of the uh, blue relievers is, is really important. And there was a Sabina study that was uh, published recently, and that showed that uh, our asthma patients who were using at least three inhalers a year have much worse asthma outcomes, more exacerbations 
than those who were using less than three reliever inhalers. So actually these people who were using truckloads of inhalers actually have the worst asthma. They're exacerbating more, they're having worse con control. And actually the, the carbon impact of getting admitted to hospital actually is higher probably than using some of these inhalers. And there's some NHS digital um, statistics that show that actually they estimate uh, from some of their data that about 20% of patients with asthma are using at least six blue reliever inhalers a year. So we really have a high proportion of patients who are overusing these inhalers. And 6% of these aerosol inhalers that we, we prescribe each year in primary care are these blue relievers. So I really think that actually if we can improve people's asthma control, get them on inhalers that they can use correctly, teach them how to use them correctly, improve their asthma control, they're going to reduce the need for using these blue reliever inhalers. And that's going to improve uh, the environmental agenda by reducing the carbon impact of emergency uh, inhalers, really. And I think yeah. that's the most important thing. Yeah, and, and and so Jane, we just have to have a hard stop when we see our patients and they've used more than two or three blue inhalers in the last year and just really hone in. I mean, what practical tips can you can you can you help our listeners with? I, I think it's a change for us. We've got to stop saying, you know, take your blue, take your blue, take your blue. We've got to mm. emphasize the actual preventative nature of asthma. It's the inhaled corticosteroids that deal with inflammation. It's the bronchodilators that help with the feeling. So it's trying to distinguish the science from the feeling that people have. And, and we need to be able to, if we, if we separated short-acting beta agonist use for rescue use and very, very occasional use of some figures, we could probably meet our targets without a lot of disruption. So I really think that's an area that we ought to look at. You know, if Toby said, what, 60%, was it, Toby? I think of mm. our, our prescriptions are short-acting beta agonists, and they're probably at least half of those. with 30%, 40% saving by just working with the people with asthma to helping them understand what is the treatment that keeps my symptoms down and probably reduces my mortality, and what is it I go to when I've got that constricted airway? Mm, yeah, no... Really, um, um, really important point there. Um, Jane, so Toby um, was telling us about these inhalers, different inhalers. Um, and one thing that came through in his description was, you know, the effort, the inhalation effort that's required. And also, I know you've both talked about in the past optimal inhaler technique and getting the device right. So can you just, you know, start the ball rolling with how you check inspiratory effort? Is it important? How do you do it? And how do you teach optimal inhaler technique? Yeah, and this is a conversation we've had so many times, isn't it, around how to do it. And I know that, you know, the three of us with, with another colleague came up with a really great algorithm available, you know, from um, guidelines in practice about how to do it practically. So you can use things like various devices in check and everything to check inspiratory flow rate. But I think if you just get somebody to be able to do that natural way of breathing for them, can you breathe in slow and steady over three to five seconds? And, you know, I know we're all not sure of the ideal time. Or can you breathe in quick and deep? And, and you know, it's not rocket science. And, and to me, if you've got an inhaler that's intuitive because that's the way I breathe, 
it's important. And we know children, as, as Toby said, don't have that deep suck, which is why we put the spacer in to allow them to tidal breathe, to get the medication to where it wants to go. So, you know, there, there are simple things like that. Just being with the person in front of you, can you breathe in, counting the seconds with them and seeing what they can do. And some people can use both. Some people can use one or the other better. But again, we have to remember in those times when we need rescue medication, that may alter. And Toby, I know you've done some work on this and um, sometimes people breathe a bit too fast, don't they, from their press and shake and press and breathe their meter dose inhaler. And sometimes they don't breathe as hard or fast enough from their powder inhaler. Um, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think it, it, it varies and you can, it, you, it's, I think it's very difficult to look at a patient in front of you and go, you can breathe in quick and deep or you can breathe in slow and steady. And as Jane says, it, it, it's what is the most natural inspiratory manoeuvre? And you can, you can teach somebody who normally breathes in quickly, sucks in quickly, you can teach them how to breathe in slowly using tools such as the in-check or anything like that. But then as soon as you get them to use your inhaler, they go back to their natural inspiratory maneuver and they're using their aerosol MDI, breathing it quick and deep. Or if they, and conversely, I see people who you teach them to breathe in quick and deep using a dry powder inhaler and they can do it, they're physically able to do it. Actually, what's natural to them is to take a nice, long, slow breath in and enjoy that inspiratory maneuver almost. And actually, those people, their natural habit is to go slow and steady. They need to be using the aerosol inhalers because that's what's natural to them. That's what they're going to be doing every day. But if their natural maneuver is to breathe in quick and deep, give them a dry powder inhaler. And you can only assess that by watching them and not just watching them during the assessment. It's watching them use their inhalers in their how they would do it naturally. You made a really good point, Toby, because you you talked about, you know, what comes natural to them. And sometimes we make it confusing because we give them one of this and one of that and one to use with this. So it's different in spiritual flow rates. And people are people. You forget what you're doing with it. So if we make asthma care and asthma inhalers for people as simple as possible, minimal devices, same sort of sort, at least then we're going some way to alleviating the problem. Hmm. Yeah, no, okay. So I'm hearing Jane and Toby consistent inhaler devices um, to, to improve um, asthma control. Um, and also I'm hearing we need to invest time. It's not just about changing the device. And switching the device we, we need to invest that time is what i'm hearing from you toby and jane whenever we see our patients and we're trying to assess their the the, the, the right device for them i guess um so uh, if i can just sort of say you know you both see patients every day at the coalface and, and both again as i said you know you've got your experts in in inhalers so what do patients want jane when you speak to them when you're saying when you're deciding which device to give give them what do they want i think it's really simple i think people want something that works and i think you know if you can show somebody that asthma control is achievable and realistic and that you can live well with asthma it shouldn't affect your lifestyle your schooling 
um, your work, if you're, you know, young, young person or whatever, it should be about control. And I think if you work with somebody and you get that buy-in to actually what is it we want to achieve, it works. So I think everyone's concerned about the environment. We all are, passionate as we are about, you know, right device, right person. But we want it to be effective and to do what it should be doing. We want asthma control so that the person with asthma's future aspects are as good as anybody else. They shouldn't be constrained by their problem. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Um, so Toby, then how do PCNs and CCGs reduce their carbon impact of inhaler prescribing? Let's let's go to that level. Mm. And I think, I think we've got to be careful because I think there's a right way and a wrong way uh, to do this. And as we've said before amongst ourselves, that the priority here is we want to improve asthma care for our patient population. We don't want our patients to have poorly controlled asthma where they're breathless, they can't participate in sports, they can't do everything they want to be doing at school, they're waking in the night because of their asthma. We want to improve their asthma control, reducing their reliever use, preventing them having exacerbations. And, and so really, I think that we have to work with our patients. This needs to be done on an individual patient basis. And I think the, the priority here is to try and focus on uh, patients within the PCN and the GP practices who have evidence of poorly controlled asthma. So those that have got high use of the relievers, those who are using prednisolone courses, uh, documented exacerbations or hospitalizations because of their asthma. I think we should be targeting people who have got poor adherence to their um, preventer inhalers, their steroid inhalers, because there's something not right there. It's either we haven't got the educational message correct, we haven't got the asthma action plan to help them self-management, manage their asthma correctly, or it might be that actually they can't use an inhaler so they don't find it particularly effective. And I think if we work with those patients on a one-to-one -one basis during their normal asthma review, we can work out which device they can use and which device they can, they're happy to use. And I think the wrong way is that if we just went in it and just went, we have a target to reduce the carbon impact of our prescribing and our focus is to get rid of the use of these aerosol inhalers, this can have a could have a, a catastrophic effect for some patients in that if we just switch them without teaching them how to use their inhalers, A, they might not be able to use it, B, they'll be really confused about what's going on. And there's data showing that actually if you do a simple script switch without involving the patient, you have worse asthma outcomes, more exacerbations, and importantly, it really has an adverse Im impact on the relationship between the patient and the healthcare professional. Oh, great, um, Toby. Thanks. So focusing on um, patients who are who have poorly controlled asthma and also being really um, careful about blanket script switches. I mean, you said it's catastrophic and, and, and they can be harmful. And and I think we'd all ag we'd all agree with that. Um, so um, wrapping things up, uh, Jane, uh, Toby, um, it, you know, I always learn so much when I listen um, to, to you guys, um, um, you know, the, the natural 
uh, breathing maneuver is something that's coming through here and you might be able to train somebody, but you really got to, 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 to spend time with them. So just your final thoughts, Jane and Toby, on all things inhalers and the environment and asthma control. Uh, Jane. Yeah, so I, I think that's why, you know, campaigns like ask about asthma are really important because it puts the focus back on the person with asthma. It's not our asthma. We have some of the answers, but we have to walk with the person we're dealing with for them to buy into it. And I think that, you know, inhalers are medicines. It's the medicine that helps in terms of morbidity and we know mortality from, you know, all the studies that, that come out. So it's got to be a, a joint thing between the person and the person you're dealing with. And they have to buy in, as Toby said. I mean, both of you know you know, switch sends the hackles up on my, on my back, really, thinking about that the because the there's a person at the end of it mm. and it's got to be effective, it's got to be safe and it's got to have buy-in. Toby, your, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think that that is really important, is, is, a, is a patient involvement is really key. And um, I think with, with environmental impact, there are some patients who are, have been quite active in social media, feeling that actually they're being blamed for global warming just because they have asthma and need to use inhalers. And I think that's unfair. And I think I do think it's, it's, it's reasonable to have that environment conversation as part of the discussion about choosing inhalers. But ultimately, the greenest inhaler is a device that the patient can use and that they are happy to use. If we give them a low carbon impact inhaler that they can't use or they don't like it, they don't like the look of it, they're not going to use it. And then the plastic wastage and the harm that that can cause is going to have a, a greater environmental impact with no clinical benefit. Great, thanks Toby. And also thanks Jane for helping us unpick using and prescribing inhalers effectively to help um, the environment. Um, I want to thank you both really. It's been great fun actually, um, as ever, just to chat through things on all things inhalers. I'd like to thank our listeners um, for joining. Um, and I'd also like to encourage you to attend the webinars during the week and watch out for the podcasts and blogs and social media. So goodbye from me and also bye from Jane and bye from Toby. Take care.